The Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, is a 175-year-old military college. In 1995, more than 20 years ago, Shannon Faulkner was the first female to gain full admission into the college. Now today, as we see women moving into more and more roles that were traditionally men's roles, we would look at that and think, that's great, that's awesome, we're glad for that. However, it is not something that actually changed that institution at the time. It's not something that reoriented. They didn't make some massive transformation because she was invited in. In fact, it took two and a half years of a legal battle to force the college to let her in. When she was in, she experienced death threats. She had very vulgar things spray-painted on her uh, parents' home. She had to be escorted to campus by federal marshals. And she only lasted a week before she dropped out. The college made no real change by accepting her. It gave in. It essentially made a concession, but there was no real transformation that took place. <laughs> it has been my experience, personally and professionally in ministry for almost 20 years, that we aren't much different in the spiritual life. I don't think we very often invite God to make large-scale change in our lives, real transformation, making us something that we weren't. But instead, we make spiritual concessions, little things here and there. You hear a good point made in a sermon, or maybe you read a good point in a book, and you think, that's cool, I like that. And you talk about it some, and maybe there's a little bit of change. But when it comes to the idea of a large-scale reformation of who we are, that we go kicking and screaming trying to hold on to what we currently are, not what God wants us to be. And last week, when I talked about the spiritual life, I said... We had this picture, I am the vine, you are the branches, and that the branches can only produce fruit when they're connected, connected to that vine. Otherwise, they don't. This branch will produce no more leaves. This branch will end up dying because it has been disconnected from the source. And the argument that I made last week is that the key to the spiritual life is abiding in Jesus Christ. That the reason that so many of us struggle with joy and purpose and peace and forgiveness, we struggle with there being fruit produced in our life, is because we're not abiding in Jesus. And today, I want to talk about just two things. 
What does abiding look like? And how does Jesus tell us we can abide? If it's that important, how do we do it? And what does it look like? If you were to read through the Gospels, especially John, here's some things you would see. You would see that Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. He only speaks what he hears the Father saying. He only judges as he sees the Father judging. He values what the Father values. Everything in Jesus and his ministry lines up with the Father. And in the passage that was read, both the gospel and the other one, it talks all about abiding. But that gospel passage says, the Son is abiding in the Father. So that the picture of abiding is that experience of Jesus where all of it, what he thinks, what he feels, what he does, how he acts, what he hears, how he judges, all of it is connected to the Father. It's the, the Father is sourcing that in him. So that, so you all remember the WWJD bracelets? Who has ever had a WWJD bracelet? Oh, got one on right there. All right. What would Jesus do? Here's the thing. I think Jesus would have us wear a different bracelet. It would be a WWJDJASSHFVG bracelet. It'd be big. You know, you look at your WW, you'd have to be doing this. WWJASSS. And it would be this. What would Jesus do, judge, act, see, speak, hear, feel, value, and glorify? All of it, every bit of it, that would be what the bracelet should be because it's not just what he does. To abide is more than that. It, it is, it's how we see the world. It's how we judge the world. It's how we speak to people. It's the value systems that we have. It's what we choose to glorify. It's our desires, all of it. And in Jesus, that was abiding. Abiding in the Father, all of those things were part of his abiding. So that we, when it says abide in Jesus, that is what he's calling us to. It is something that, it's not a single action it's not even a collection of actions. It's an orientation of our lives. It's a way of living. It's all-encompassing. Um, it's hard. What I want to tell you before we dive into how is that it is hard. Um, we're talking about a reorientation of our lives, not an add-on, right? We're not talking about like, well, we're gonna add a course to the meal. No, we're talking about the entire 10 courses. We're not talking about like, you know, I've got a backpack and I'm gonna sew on an extra pocket. We're talking about the entire backpack being Jesus. It's not an addition, it's a reorienting 
to where everything that is not from him is now from him. One of the things, you had one assignment for this week, and it was to ask yourself, what are you abiding in? What are the things you are drawing strength from right now? What are the sources that you're living out of? And I threw out a bunch of possibilities. It could be a job. It could be anger. It could be a past hurt. It could be all number of things where you are still, you're living out of this. It's not easy just to push that aside and say, now I'm gonna live out of Jesus. It will take something to do that. What we're asking is, Every one of us has a map that we're using to navigate our lives, to move from point A to B, from B to C, C to D. We have these maps. And those maps are made up of all these experiences that we have, from our hurts to our joys to when we were kids. I mean, it's all there. And it's moving us and directing us. And I'm telling you, if you want to abide in Jesus, you have to redraw that map so that he is the one navigating your life completely. Back in the 16th century, the French were behind in the trade with the Orient. The British and the Portuguese and the Spanish all had trade routes, and the French wanted to get, they wanted to get up on all of them, and so they decided the way to do it would be to find a path west across the Atlantic, into the Pacific, to the Orient. That's what they wanted to find. So a number of wealthy Frenchmen sponsored a man named Giovanni Verrazzano. He took 50 men, and he headed to North America. Well, these 50 men, they get there, and they land or get to right about where South Carolina and North Carolina meet. Now, Verrazzano was a little shy, a little nervous about, you know, who might be there, and so he kept his ship quite often away from shore. So he gets to that point, he sees this, and he begins making his way north until he hits the Outer Banks. And if you don't know what the Outer Banks are, I'm going to tell you because I really wasn't sure. I'm not from that area. The Outer Banks is a strip of land about 175 miles long. It makes kind of a half circle And it's anywhere from about a mile to three miles wide is all. Well, from the Atlantic to the Outer Banks, here's this, on the other side, is a body of water. And that body of water at some points is 30 miles wide. Then you get to the actual continent. Well, he's out here on the other side of the Outer Banks, and as he's going by, and he sees the land, and then he sees the water. And he is convinced that's the Pacific Ocean. And he does a map. Well, his brother does a map, draws a map with the Pacific Ocean essentially bisecting the continent. He goes north because he knows there's land here. You go past the outer rim. He knows there's land here. But here's the amazing thing. That map would essentially be reproduced for 100 years everybody would think that there is water that goes right in the middle of the continent. You know, sea to shining sea? Yeah, you could walk it. I mean, it was like right there. There were people living in North America thinking they're 15 miles from the Pacific and they're on the East Coast. 100 years. And when 
Finally, the maps start getting corrected all the way into the 18, early 1800s. There are still maps that people are doing where there's still this body of water that's through the middle of the continent. Because rewriting our maps is really hard. There's multiple, multiple stories in cartography where this kind of thing happens. Because once the map is there, we don't want to get rid of it. Um, I mean, we get emotionally connected to it. And we don't want to change the map. The problem is, myself included, far too many of us, our map is not Christ alone. Even if we sing the song in Christ alone. Our map is made up of all kinds of stuff. And we're using all these things to guide and to direct us instead of just him. And the calling of abiding is to completely rewrite, redraw that map so that he is the one navigating everything. Now, how do we do that? John chapter 15 In verse 7, Jesus begins to lay out some of the abiding. John chapter 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now he's used this same language in John 8, 8.31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? Same idea here. Abiding in his words. Now, here's what that means. A consistent, centering relationship with the words of Jesus Christ. Here's the hard part. How many of you know and I'd like you to raise your hand that you're supposed to read your Bible. Just raise your hand. Okay. So here I am telling you you're supposed to read your Bible. No, it's actually not what I'm telling you. Here's the thing. Abiding in the words of Jesus is more than a quiet time. It's more than reading the Bible. It is more than studying the Bible. We are not talking about just gaining more information. We're talking about formation. And those two things are not necessarily equivalent. Right? Here is the truth about abiding in the words of Jesus. Most of us don't do it, and we have reasons why. I'm going to give you some, and I want you to mentally have your little checklist. Right? If you know, because you raised your hand, I'm supposed to read the Bible but you don't regularly do so, I want you to see what applies to you. Right, here are some reasons. I already know what the Bible says, so I don't need to read it. I've read it before, and it doesn't really seem to make that much of an impact. I don't remember what I read anyway, so why read it? I don't understand half of what I read. There are people that I give that are paid to do this for me. Let them do it. And let's be honest, there are just other things we think are more important. 
sports, TV, jobs. What? I mean, there's just things we choose. We literally say, I've got 15 minutes or half an hour, an hour. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this. If we're going to be honest, we're doing, we're making the choice. We're making the choice partly because of all the reasons I just said, and then you may have some more of your own. But there are reasons we don't do this. Here's the thing. If you want to abide in the words of Jesus, it will interfere with your life because you're going to have to make choices against those things. And you need to know that abiding is not primarily academic. It's relational. You're not primarily reading just to gain more information. You're reading it so that it can form you and mold you and change you. And it is relational. And here's what I mean. All right, Aaron and I, we just moved uh, like a month or two ago. I know it's a shock to everybody. We moved. <laughs> How weird is that? Um, we moved. And, and here's what I can tell you. Let me give you the academic facts. I live at 2298 Crystal Falls Drive. It's a four-bedroom house. The pool is, the community pool is across the street. Um, I can tell you the square footage. I can tell you how much the HOA fee is. Um, I can tell you that we have great neighbors, the Scots who live down the street and brought us bread. Um, I can tell you all kinds of facts. But here's what's happening right now. Every day that I keep coming back to this house, I am learning the character of the house. I'm learning where the creeks are. I'm learning the doors that don't quite close and those that do. I'm learning the light switches that get tripped more often than some of the other ones. Um, I'm learning the smells that are in the house. <laughs> I'm learning which windows open and don't open. Um, I'm learning that, because I didn't notice this in the beginning, it's taken being there. I am learning that there are times when the most vividly beautiful birds land on our old fence. But I didn't notice that at first. And the facts of my house don't tell me that. It's being in my house. It's dwelling there. I'm learning all the ways I can leave my house and get to different places because we're kind of in, almost in the middle of a neighborhood. And so I can leave like four different ways, and I'm learning what happens when I leave different ways. I am going through a relationship with my house right now. I'm learning it. You can't, it's, it's not just academic information. And in fact, if you ask me about my house now, I'm not going to give you most of the academic information because that's not really what I'm most excited about. Sure, I'll give you the address if you're coming over, but if you go, tell me how great your house is. Oh, man, it's at 2298 Crystal Falls Drive. That's how great my house is. Is that surprise? that exciting for anyone? Um, it's not the academic facts. I'm learning my house. That's why we abide in his word. We're learning him. We're learning who he is and what he values and what he says and what he listens to and how he acts what he wants to glorify. We're learning him. Now, I'll come back to that in just a second. Second thing that he says. Verse eight, uh, sorry, verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in his words. 
again, not an academic exercise to get you more information. It's a relational exercise so you come to know him better. But also abide in his love. Um, I'm only going to speak just a moment on this. If you want more, there's a sermon on August 23rd, 2017, where I talked all about this. Go back and listen to it. It's, it's online. But here's the thing. The love of God is the primary instigator for just about everything God does throughout the entire scriptures. We have to abide in that love. It has to be what centers us, what orients us. It has to be the foundational thing where we make our decisions. We make choices. We relate to people. He loved us first and so we love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When Moses is gonna see God and Yahweh passes before him, the first thing it is is his everlasting love. Because he knows that living out of that love changes us and gives us a courage and a place to go and an outlook on life and an ability to do things we cannot do when we live out of guilt, when we live out of trying to please or prove ourselves to God. You can't get to the same place that way. So when you think about love, I think there are, are two different ways of, of looking at it, right? One is the love that you would have for a spouse, right? Think about when you first met your spouse, right? This is what I can say is true of me when I first met my spouse, as she slips out the door quickly before I say anything about her. When I first met my spouse, I did not look at her and instantly go, you are the love of my life that I want to marry right now. That's not how it happened. That took like, I don't know, three days or something like that <laughs> to happen. But what did happen is over time, as we shared life, as we shared stories, as we did things together, as we trusted each other, we grew in love to the point where we said, we want to be together forever. Now, that's very different from my kids. Right? My kids, they were born, boom, I love them. That's it. I, I, and, and, and it hasn't changed. Like, I still desperately love every one of my kids no matter how weird they are. I love them. And I would do anything for my kids. And nothing changes that. Like, it doesn't matter what they do, it doesn't change. They can be really bad, they could totally disobey me, and I still desperately love them with all my heart. They're my kids. And you know what? My kids, to some degree, recognize that. To some degree. They're going to get it more when they have their own kids because that's what happened to me, and I'm pretty sure that's happened to everybody. You first have your kid, you go, oh, that's how my parents felt. But, you know, up to that point, you have no idea how much your parents love you. But my kids, you know, when my son hurts his knee, I cannot fix the boo-boo. Like, I can't make it go away. But you know what? He screams and screams and screams until I get there and put my arm around him and hold him. Now, I haven't made it go away. It is still there, but he knows he needs me. He's living out of this. I know I am loved by my parents. I gotta have them. My daughter, 
who is afraid of storms, last year, she, when, when storms happen, she will like come down, she'll slip in, she makes a little bed next to our bed. And last year she did this, except it was like summer and there were no storms. And I didn't hear her come in, I just woke up and I almost stepped on her because she like puts it right next to my bed. And so I'm getting out of bed, I'm like, whoa, there's a, there's a girl right there. And, and I'm like, I, why is she here? Like there definitely were no storms last night. I'm almost 100% sure of it. And when she gets up, she goes, Daddy, I had such a horrible nightmare last night. I just had to come down and be by you guys. See, it's not just storms, but it's nightmares and it's struggles and it's because they're living out of that love. You know, even if I can't fix it all, they still want to be there. We're called to abide in his love. Abide in his words, abide in his love. But we are a people that are experiential. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There is a doing to the abiding that is really, really important. I can state this with almost absolute certainty. I will never become a better dad by reading books on being a better dad. I'll never become a better football player by reading books on becoming a better football player or knowing more of the rules of football. I will never become more compassionate by reading a book on being compassionate alone. We have to do these things. That in my commandments, doing my commandments, I mean, think about the greatest life lessons you've had. They didn't come because you sat in a room and thought about something. They came because you went through something, right? You experienced it. You found out. You were tested. You did something. There's a reason we get out and we practice stuff because that's how we grow and we get better. Part of abiding is absolutely centering ourselves, um, reorienting, aligning, rewriting our maps according to the words of Jesus and reorienting, rewriting, living out of, making our source his love. However, it can't stop there. Every time we act from these things, we are abiding and we are growing. Every time, give me an example. Let's say that you are abiding in the words of Jesus. You're just going through. You are spending time regularly in his words. And let's just say all you do is you spend time in the Gospels. And you are discovering a pattern in Jesus. Jesus is the first to do things. Jesus cares so much about what he's doing that he's up every morning with the Father without fail. Jesus is not above pretty much any task. He's like down washing his disciples' feet. Right? You see this pattern and you start going, well, if that's what Jesus is, that's what I want to be. I want to have that same map navigating me. You know, I want to be first. I want to have no task that is below me. I want to be the first to wash the feet. 
most of us, myself included, we stop right there. We see it, we acknowledge that we want it, but then we don't do it. If we don't do it, we don't actually grow into it. In fact, we risk becoming self-righteous, becoming pharisaical in the negative way of using that term. Because when you aren't actually practicing these things, guess what you don't know? How dang hard some of them are. Instead, we get to sit back from the bleachers and we get to think through it all and go, yeah, this is how everything should be. And oh, and you're not doing it. How dare you not do it? You too, you're not doing it. But when we step into it, not only do we grow into it, but we gain a compassion for those who are also struggling to do it. Abiding is also doing. It's part of it. Looking at the time, I have so much more I want to say. But I want you to leave before two, so... Slow down just a little. Um, change is possible. That's part of the message of redemption. Change is possible. Um, wherever you are or have been, whatever maybe you haven't been abiding, um, you can still put on the WWJDJASSHFVG bracelet, um, no matter what your life has been up to this point. On Friday, this past Friday, real change happened at the Citadel when Sarah Zorn was handed the ceremonial sword and became the new regimental commander of the Citadel. First time ever for a female to have that position. And here's what she said. I think that women are fully embraced as cadets here. You hear a lot of times from fellow cadets and even from alumni that having women here has improved the college. Here's what was said by the commander of the cadets. His name is Gino Paluso. And he said once it was announced that she was going to be the next one, that he had one negative phone call, period from all the alum, from all, I mean, anybody involved, just one negative phone call. Um, and his response was this. He said, um, it was pretty easy. I called the guy in Neanderthal, then I educated him on how there's no all-male military institutions, no all-male corporations in America, and I mean, come on, it's 2018. She's the best qualified candidate, so get over it. That's coming from the commander of the cadets. There are a number of other quotes in this article about, you know, she was not chosen because she was female. In fact, they specifically say she was chosen because of her qualifications and her maturity. And one of the things that impressed them is she didn't come in and go, woohoo, I get to be the first all male. I mean, all female, I get to be the first female in this position. That didn't matter to her. The college is actually changing. It's taken a lot of years, but there's change. 
Now, she's a third-degree black belt, and apparently there are a few male cadets that don't want her to do this, but they're unwilling to say anything to her. This will not grow anymore. It's been broken off. Many of us feel at times broken off. If we look at our lives, we would say, I mean, if that's what abiding is, man, I have not been abiding. Am I like too late? Have I like been broken off and it's done, it's over? Um, I want to say that we are not so much like this as we are like basil. Everybody know what basil is? You know, smell, I mean, you get a good basil plant, I mean, ooh, you smell that thing. Do you know that you can clip basil, take the little shoot, put it in water, and it can regrow the roots? That's what can happen to us. Whether or not you have been disconnected for a while or for a short time, or maybe you've never felt connected, it is not too late in the kingdom to be connected to Christ and to have this kind of abiding, to rewrite, to redraw maps so that we live differently because of him. And to end, I want to give you a chance to do that. I want to ask you to stand. Um, If the worship team would go ahead and come up and if And I mean this. Please don't do what I'm about to say just because you're in church. But if that kind of abiding is what you want for your life, then I want to ask you to repeat this prayer from Wesley with me. It's not in your bulletin. We're going to do it just like you're getting married, where the preacher says a line, you repeat it back, we're going to do it just like that. I want you to say this prayer with me if this is what you want for your life. And when we're done, I'm going to say a prayer for the offering, and they're going to start singing a song called To Live as Christ. That song is what I'm talking about. So repeat these words if this is what you want. And if you don't, be quiet. Nobody's going to judge you here. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. Heavenly Father, so many of us, if not all of us, have a great desire to be fruitful in the kingdom, to know the kind of life 
that Jesus offers. Help us to abide in him, to abide in his words and in his love and to do those things that we see our Savior doing, to put on those massive bracelets that reorient our lives in every way toward the kingdom, toward our Savior, toward our King. We ask this in his holy name, even as we ask you would bless the tithes and offerings of your people and use them for your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated.